The scripture this morning, I encourage you to uh, look it up on your app if you have a Bible app or if you've got a Bible with you. It's Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. I'll be reading it from the Common English Bible Translation. Jesus came near and spoke to them. I have received all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. All right, I'd like to invite Daniel Davis to come up here this morning. Thanks, Rob. Now, Daniel's been, uh, have a seat, Daniel. Daniel's been hanging out here at Trinity for a few years. And Daniel, would you uh, give people a little information about yourself, who you are, what you're up to? You, you can, yeah. It's only been on for 10 minutes, and it's too much, I know. <laughs> um, well, hello, everybody. I know what you're all thinking. He hasn't been to church in a year and a half. Why does he get to go on stage? <clears throat> my name's Daniel Davis. Uh, my partner, Juliana, is looking after the little kids this morning um, with our two-year-old, Zoe. Um, you guys should see her. She's grown up so much since the dedication. It's really cool. We have a 19-year-old foster daughter, Nabi, and then we have... Um, another boy on the way September 23rd. So we're excited. It's the first time I saw your wife uh, in person for a while, and <laughs> before that, it was, yeah, I I'm pregnant. And you're like, yeah, okay. And then now it's like, no, you're pregnant. Um, she's seven months along, but she looks like she's like 10 months along. <laughs> I didn't say She's it. like, That's this is going to happen tomorrow. I would never say that, and you That's should not probably bad. not have not said bad. that. Um, she probably just threw a kid across yeah, the room in, daycare, in, in Sunday school, didn't she? I have two kids already. I learned my lesson a long time ago. Um, the <laughs> Brings us to our next point. We're going to talk about sharing yes. <laughs> good news this morning. So what, was the, what would you say is the last conversation you had about faith with someone who maybe wasn't a, a kind of really committed Christian? Um, I'm writing this paper um, or I'm co-authoring a paper for the Morrison Institute on the cycle of homelessness. And the person I'm writing it with, um, we've gotten to have some pretty stimulating conversations on uh, specifically one man, Curtis Bagley, who is a pretty infamous um, case here in Phoenix. Uh, three years ago, uh, he was released from the hospital and uh, he was going through psychosis and uh, had a mental breakdown and ended up killing somebody and it obviously shook our community. It was right down the street from where our house was. So this man's experience has been pretty much the, the source of our, our, our you know, discussions. Um, how does somebody get dropped 36 times from one service? And then how do they get dropped and released right back to the street after psychosis? And pretty much like we're trying to figure out how mechanically the breakdown works. But really, I couldn't help but bring up to her, and she's not a Christian, that, like, we should not be okay 
with that. Like, there are ways that, like, your car breaks down, and whose fault is that, right? We're not looking to pass blame on this, though. Like, we should not be okay um, with somebody going through psychosis and having, like, a really difficult time not trusting their mind and not having good support, not having a home to go to, not having people committed to their success. But instead, as a society, we usually end up kind of saying, like, what's that person's role in their own homelessness? Um, it's not uncommon to have, like, radical thoughts in social work. People are like, I'm sick of this. People being down and out. Um, but there's something that, like, most social workers believe in, like, everybody being equal. Um, but as Christians, we think often about, you know, putting ourselves further down the totem pole to lift other people up. It's not about trying to bring everybody up to be rich, you know, but right now and with what we have, serve, serving others is like our goal. And so um, I won't lie, every time I talk to somebody about, you know, what I believe in, uh, I always bring up the fact I go to a Mennonite church because you guys come from such a rich history of people doing some really crazy things, like super crazy things. And um, giving up power and giving up wealth and giving up time to serve others, and that's very radical. Um, so it's pretty easy to put in the context of what you guys all do all the time. Um, and so, I mean, that conversation went really well. It's really easy to say, like, I go to church, you know what I mean? Um, but then we, we got into some pretty deep discussion about our beliefs and stuff, and that's why our paper isn't done, you know? So... <laughs> even though it was due last Friday, so. <laughs> You're not just using Jesus as an excuse for getting out of work, right? Because that's, yeah. that's not the way, just in case you're wondering. Jesus ate my homework. <laughs> <laughs> so where, where would you say you see some of the, 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 the experiences of pain in our culture where, where Jesus is really the good news for the people as they are actually experiencing life today? Is it okay to say I went to a bar? Well, you just did, so whether it is or not. See, that's how you lead right there. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, our society is, like, so combative. Uh, everybody's really polarized, obviously. It's something we've been talking about for quite a long time now. But, you know, people don't need another source of, of that kind of competition they don't need another place to argue beliefs and semantics and who's right and who's wrong. Um, my wife and I, especially like before our kids, she's kid, yeah, kids. Fostering is a kid, yeah. Um, you know, when we used to go to like more social areas, it was, it's really easy to like just not be judgmental and that's like radical to a lot of people, you know? Um, treating everybody pretty equally and, and, and actually loving deeply loving the person in front of you without any sort of expectation of morality or behavioral change or anything. Uh, people really want that. Like, we all want that in here, in this, in this room. Um, church can become about morality, right? Like, who shows up on church, dressed the best, who, you know, serves when called upon, and who does all the right things, and who has a good, perfect marriage, and whose kids are best behaved, all these things. That's not really relatable outside of this room. <laughs> um, everybody else is okay with the mess, it seems like, but they're usually in despair about it. And I think that that's where good news comes in, that um, the messiness is good, right? Like, kids doing crazy things and not turning out perfect, man, that's good that they're not exactly like us, <laughs> right? There's things about I'd change about myself, so. Um, 
But so I think that level of just being honest um, is what is a big pain point in our culture right now. Because we've spent the last year and a half indoors looking at everybody else's perfect life online. And we're all like really starving for that authentic engagement. So um, yeah, I, I just think being an authentic, you know, a person engaging with the actual situation and caring and listening. Um, you know, a lot of people here are familiar with active listening, where you're trying not to think about what your response is going to be when somebody stops talking or trying to guide the conversation a certain way. Um, the less goals you have for it, the more you're able to sit there and be with that conversation and actually love that person. And loving a neighbor and loving a stranger is very, very radical. And it stands out in, in contrast, like quite quickly. What do you think you, uh, well, how would you explain to someone a way to talk about faith that doesn't feel like it's being too pushy or, or somehow just a judgment on the morality? Like, how do you engage that in a way that feels natural and, and authentic? Love <laughs> is, like, actually incredibly radical, um, I think sitting with somebody and like actually uh, wanting good for them instead of for them to think like us is probably the most influential thing we can do. Um, and often our pocketbook follows that, you know, our, the way we spend our time follows that. Our willingness to watch somebody's kids, even though they're not really in our friend group, they just need the help. Um, it's huge. And then, you know, when somebody is in need, they often come back, like, hey, I know you're a Christian. Uh, I just had this the other day where it's like, my neighbor came to me and was like, uh, my partner is going through surgery, first time going through surgery. He's, um, he's overweight. There's going to be complicated. Like, we're really afraid of all this stuff. Could you just pray? And I don't know. We didn't say the sinner's prayer, you know? But, and she hasn't come to church yet, but that's... It's fine. Like, I, I see how God's moving. I think that a lot of the responsibility that, you know, we feel like we have in evangelism or talking to somebody about faith um, is what really scares us. Like, we have to have the perfect answers or else, you know, someone who believes in Islam is going to pull a gotcha and we don't have, oh, no, like, how do we figure this out? The truth is, like, that's not how our church works. That's not how our Christian life works either. We have 2,000 years of wrestling and trying to figure this out. And even in Mennonitism, there's a lot of... Don't say Mennonitism. That right? That's not a thing. <laughs> it's a little scary, actually, if that's... Even in me Mennoism. <laughs> I screwed up the, the terms last time I was up here, too. I said Trinitarians or Trinitarians. Well, you're not coming back, so it's all right. <laughs> well, if you can't kick me out, I was told not to drop the mic, or else Jeremy would make sure I didn't come back up here, but it's my last time, so... Um, oh, gosh. Sorry. We have two scatterbrained people talking to each other yep. on stage right now. Yeah, um, I'm using all of my energy to keep myself from sh shutting up, so... So, I, I remember what I was saying. That Jesus. rarely happens. Um, yeah. Well, can I keep going? Yeah, that? go ahead. <laughs> um, 
so that level of honesty, I think, is, is really huge. I know you're just going to hear the same words from me, honesty, authenticity, all this stuff. But what that means is that we usually don't have, like, a definitive answer on how healing works, how salvation works, how the kingdom of God is actually going to come right now. But being open about it is what's transformational. And um, that's why we see a huge divide right now. I, I don't want to go back to the other question completely, but why are people so burned out on the church? It's because they know there are humans in here, but they act like they're not humans. They act like they're super moral people. They act like they don't have problems. Um, and that's just not true. That's not relatable. And, um, you know, most of what people hear from the church nowadays is like legislating morality and trying to get people who are not Christian to act Christian. But that's not the way of Jesus or Paul or Stephen or anybody that it's you know, we talked inwardly in the church about some of like the logistics and mechanics of the gospel. And then outwardly, we just love people. We do not judge people. Um, and yeah, it, it's, it's quite inviting to know that you're just loved regardless of whatever happens. And showing that love is, is, is really the key, I think. Well, I've got several things I'd like to say in response, but I got a sermon to do that. So um, thanks, Daniel. Appreciate Can I do my last say. question? What advice would you give to someone who wants to... No, it's the other one. That would be the... Someone... Oh, don't be pushing awkward. You asked that already. Yeah. Anyways, I'm going to do it again. Open-ended questions are huge. When somebody's just talking, um, like, you know, I just had this the other day. Somebody lost their... Their kid passed away. And instead of like, man, that sucks. Is that, is that difficult? Or, oh, God's... You know, don't, don't give any cheesy answers or, or one-word situation shutdowns. Uh, Asking open-ended questions, and that means that the answer isn't yes or no, it's something that they have to contribute, is, is really big and shows that you, you actually care. Um, and you can use that in the church too, by the way, with other people. So, And, well, and I will add something to that, because yeah, the, I think what we want to do oftentimes is deflate attention. So when someone says, like, I'm in pain, suddenly that feels like that's placed on us, and we kind of want to say... Uh, I'm sorry, that's really hard, or what can I do as if, uh, instead of stepping into that, right, and saying, how, and, and what does that mean for you right now? Where does this hurt today? Um, and then, well, yeah, we don't have to go any further, but I think oftentimes it's because we are in a place that we want to deflate tension as opposed to holding that in the middle of where people are at. It's so funny, like, how right when we leave the church, we, we stop acting like what we actually believe in sometimes. So, what we believe here is that we don't have to perform, right? That we don't, we aren't the source of love. We aren't the source of salvation or healing. But we could be present to that and point to that in our real lives. And people can smell BS or lies or whatever, you know, word I can baptize into this right here. But um, a mile away. And that's why people, you know, are against coming to church pretty often, especially in my generation. But, um, yeah. Don't lie. Don't say something you don't actually believe. Um, otherwise, it is, it's really hard to defend. <laughs> so. Thanks, Daniel. Yeah, thanks. Let's pray. God, thank you for Daniel and for the work he is doing in showing people your kingdom. As we continue in the conversation of of what it means to evangelize, of what it means to speak your, uh, your way to our world. 
I ask that you would uh, give us hearts and minds that are focused on you, on your kingdom, and what it means uh, to seek after you as we do so, so that we are honest people with integrity as we speak, so that we are humble people, uh, ready, to, ready to listen, so that we are your servants. Amen. When I think of evangelism, I think of multiple things. I've got a lot running through my brain, but I've got a very limited amount of time to tell it to you. So I'm just going to talk double fast. Um, and I'm not going to do that because the number one complaint I get about my sermons is I already talk too fast. Um, instead, I'll just give you half of the answers, and you'll have to figure out the other half. Uh, when I think about evangelism, I often think about my experiences uh, growing up in church. Uh, I grew up in, a, a fair, in an evangelical Baptist church, and some of my experiences around evangelism were very much just a group experience. Um, and I was reminded of a story of a, a man who went to one of those group experiences, um, and he had an authentic experience of following Jesus after this, right? He, he did truly feel like he was choosing Christ. And so because of this change, the very next day when he went to work, he wanted to tell people about it, and he didn't know how. He didn't know how to do so. Well, he was a barber in a really fancy kind of contemporary, I say that because well, okay, barbershop. Uh, there are two versions of barbershops. There's an old one where they bu- basically buzz your head, and then there are the new ones, which look more like the really old ones, where they also take a straight razor and give you a shave, okay? So he's in one of those, and he's literally thinking all day long about how I'm going to tell someone about Jesus, and he's scared the whole time. At the end of the day, he realizes he's his last customer, and he has to tell him about Jesus, or he's going to have gone through the day without doing so. So he's thinking about it, and he gives him the haircut, and he lathers up his face, and he's got the straight razor, and he's, cut, he's shaving him, and then just as he's getting to his neck, he decides, I've got to do this now, and he says, do you know what's going to happen when you die? <laughs> Don't do that. When it comes to our understanding of evangelism, we tend to be thinking oftentimes about all of the things that are in our minds about talking about Jesus. And it's understandable because it's a confusing thing. It's not a normal part of our days often. But I'm going to give you a bit of a, of a reprieve from that fear because the point of evangelism is not, as Daniel even just said, is not to have all the right answers. It's just to be there as a representative of the right answers. More accurately, it's to be there as a representative of the answer. Evangelism is personal and communal and also really not your responsibility. So I'm going to explain those three things. First, it's personal. And the main reason why we oftentimes personally feel like we cannot do evangelism, why we can't follow this, this, this direct command of Jesus sometimes to, to share this with the whole world, to follow Christ, is that oftentimes we don't think we know enough, that we don't have the answers, that we just don't. But when it comes to the actual experiences of people who are in a world that feels broken, who are in a world that feels like there are no answers. They're not looking for someone to give the clean answers for them because the reality is is that you probably don't have them because your experience in life is not their experience in life. They're more interested in learning how your life is operating with the ideas that you have. You don't need the answers you need to be able to talk about 
your own life. And the number one thing we know about every human for the most part, for the most part, can't say this for exactly, but is we like to talk about ourselves. It's our favorite subject. All I'm asking you to do is to keep doing that with an emphasis on what that means about Jesus in your life. Don't try to have the answers. This sermon started out with a very quick guideline of how to explain Jesus to people who don't know Jesus. And my point was is that I wanted to give you something practical to walk away with. And I could tell you all the reasons why, but in the end, I decided most of us don't need that because that will make us too comfortable with a system. What we need is to get comfortable with a story. The story of what Jesus means to you and with your life and how it actually applies, how it matters, why Jesus matters to you at all is going to be the most compelling story for another human who has a real story as well, a real story that needs Jesus. Now, for some people, having all of the objective ideas and statements, uh, the, the clear arguments, the, for some of those people, they will be really interested in that, sure. And if that happened to you, if you're talking about Jesus somehow in a natural conversation that you set yourself into, um, and, and this scenario comes up, uh, you can say, I don't know. You know what? Most people are more interested in you being honest about what you don't know than trying to pretend like you know it. Because as Daniel said, it's true. If you start saying things that you aren't sincere about, like you don't actually believe them, they don't, they're not actually true for your life experience. Everyone sees through that. And it, it doesn't benefit you or, and certainly not, the image of the kingdom of God in that scenario. Say, I don't know then just go ask Daniel. He'll give you the answers. Uh, say, I don't know, and you can find out. Or, or, well, we'll get to the or next. Hold that thought. Hold that thought after saying, I don't know. There's another piece there. Um, the second reason that I find that most people are afraid to do this personal work of evangelism is mostly that they don't think they're good enough. And this is the one that it takes some digging to get with in the conversation with people, but it turns out they don't think they're good enough. They, they feel like uh, they, would, they should not be representing Jesus. I said like at the beginning, the thing you're doing primarily is not representing the answers, but representing the person who is the answer, right? You don't have to have them all. You're representing that. And they feel like, I can't represent Jesus. Have you seen my life? And yeah, you're probably right. Like that's the thing you should act, th th just say that out loud. It's okay. Yes, you're probably right. You're not. Like, if the standard is supposed to be Jesus, and if that's what you're saying, I have to have my life like in order to do something about this, in order to represent Jesus, I have to look just like Jesus, then you're probably right, you don't. And if you, if you think that, that I'm not right about that, talk to your spouse or friends or family, and they'll fill you in on the details. Because you know you're not already, the problem is, is that the assumption that we somehow have to meet or reach some sort of criteria before we can represent Jesus will leave us in a state of never representing Jesus. And I think this comes from a good place. Uh, our tradition has a lot of humility in, that's, that's, that is ingrained in us to say, like, who am I to try and talk to someone about this? And, and a lot of guilt sometimes around what we haven't done, what we have done. And so there's a lot of reasons why that may weigh on us. But to be honest, I'd like you to spend more time reading like who the disciples were so that you have some sense of why this really doesn't matter. 
You're talking about the, the, the key people that Jesus was working with, right? The, G, the people who Jesus was giving responsibility to in this, in following the way, in crafting the way, following Jesus, right? And we've got Peter who denied him. We've got uh, Thomas who doubted him. At the cross, all of them ran away. We got one of them who ran away so fast, they literally lost all their clothes and didn't go back for him and ran around naked trying to get out of the way. If you don't know that story, you, you know, read it in Mark, but it's good stuff there. Someone's so scared about being caught around being around Jesus, they literally throw off their clothes and run away naked. I do think they'll be more likely to get caught, so I think it's a bad plan. But, but we're talking about a group of people who failed over and over and over and over again who were called too loud, who were clearly too doubtful, who when they were told stay in Jerusalem left to go back fishing because they gave up. You don't have to worry about not being enough because the best versions that we're supposed to look to, like these are the apostles, the, good, the, the best of the best Christians out there. They're a bunch of failures as well. They're a bunch of failures. Um, every pastor you've ever had is a failure at representing Jesus perfectly. Not just me, don't worry, we know that, but everyone you've ever had. I'm not saying that to add to your guilt. I really have no interest in doing that at all. What I want us to, to, to hold in the conversation on evangelism is that everything about evangelism is about showing people the same grace we've received. And that does require that you do two things related to that, your own guilt around this. Except that it's true. Yeah, you're, you're, you're not. You, you aren't perfect. And so you're right. If you were to say, my standard is to be perfect before I can represent Jesus, you're not that. But more importantly, recognize that the thing you're representing is that God is desperately in love with imperfect people. And that you are a representation of that. And that I'm a representation of that. The heart of the gospel is grace. And grace is not a reflection of your merit, or it wouldn't be grace. I think of 2 Timothy, uh, verse nine, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 9, which says, God is the one who saved and called us with a holy calling. This wasn't based on what we've done, but it's based on his own purposes and grace that he gave us in Christ Jesus before time began. The gospel means good news. That's what the word means. The gospel means good news. This is what evangelism is about. It's about good news. And the best news is that the good news doesn't depend on you being good. The best news is that the good news doesn't depend on you being good, but it depends on God being good. So do not get held back by the image of your own, of your own imperfection. Um, we've got... Countless systems uh, for, for talking about evangelism. If you can move past uh, your concerns with, uh, with not knowing the answers and your concerns with not being perfect, you may think, well, then I just need to come up with a perfect system for explaining Jesus to people. And the reality is, is that there is no perfect system. Throughout the Bible, throughout the entire New Testament, as Paul and others are explaining the story of salvation, Every single time it's embodied in the people that are, they're talking to. Every single time. There's one time where the story is basically, there's an image of a, a bunch of statues to gods and one god with no name. 
right? And one of the ways of explaining the gospel to this group of people is simply to say, oh, that's, that's, that's the God I'm talking about, the one with no name that you're, you've got over there. That is not how I would explain salvation to anyone here now. The context matters because everything about it matters. Did Jesus appear in a giant cloud in front of us to explain salvation from God? How does Jesus bring salvation to humanity? He is incarnated is our term. He is made flesh and among us and walks right in front of people. The image of evangelism, the story of the good news, must be embodied in people, not processes. It's you. It's you. You don't need a perfect system for explaining evangelism, for, for working through the steps of people, anything like that. What you need is a story of Jesus and your story and how it matters. It's not a philosophy but it's people in relationship with God that changes things. Humans, all right, humans do not have new questions. You don't need to worry about creating a perfect, the perfect systems because humans don't have new questions. They have new contexts. They don't need the perfect system. They need you in their context. Humans are still asking the same questions they've always asked. Just new contexts for asking them. We still are seeking answers to injustice, still seeking answers to, to why it is we believe good should persevere, why it is we believe that, that we should risk everything for love. We still have these same questions and same ideas. We just have new contexts, and your job is to step into those contexts. Your story is the one that's alive today. You are the incarnate vision and image then. Now, this could be confusing because I've simply, I've said that you don't have to have all the answers, but you do have to be fully there in front of people, and you are a representation of, of who God is in the midst of people. You might feel overwhelmed, confused about how you're supposed to do it, but I'd like to give you these simple answers for it. With evangelism as a community, or as being communal, you should know you're not doing it alone. You don't do this alone. And in fact, if you ever think you do it alone, you're doing it wrong. Not to add more pressure. Uh, you aren't the church, and I am not the church. We are the church. So when we do the evangelistic work of talking to others about Jesus, the invitation is to join a community. The invitation is to be part of a community. Now, uh, the invitation to, to come on a Sunday morning may not be uh, the, the step you need to take. Um, you may not want to run around and just say to everyone today, because you're now excited about evangelism, you're going to invite everyone to church on Sunday. Maybe that's not what you need to do. But the point is, is that while personal, evangelism is, is, while personal evangelism is good, we are not alone in this, and we don't have to be alone as we go through the work. In fact, here's what we know. Uh, conversations which exist as individual philosophies, which show that this is my story and how I act, tend to have very little weight for other people. But stories which say this is who I am and I'm part of a group of other people who are doing it too, and they love each other deeply, have a much stronger impact on explaining that there is truth to something, that there is validity 
to what we are saying. One of the things we're doing uh, in order to have a communal experience for evangelism is uh, we started an alpha class. Uh, well, we will be starting this alpha class. It uh, shouldn't be called a class, really. It's, this, it's an online experience. We're doing it online right now um, for a number of reasons. Uh, but uh, you can read more about that in your newsletter. The information about alpha is essentially it is the place where a communal expression of evangelism can happen, where we can work with each other. Um, and allow people to ask questions that they're asking in a safe environment. It's a really impressive way to do this together, and we do want you to be a part of that. There are invitations over there behind this wall at the table, uh, physical invitations you could give to people to invite them to join our, this Alpha uh, conversation. We really recommend you use something like that. One of the things that we mention as, uh, in talking to Daniel is like the awkwardness of these conversations most of the time, it is slightly awkward to invite someone to something like Alpha. Um, and we know that people don't show up as often if, it, if you just walk up to someone and have never talked about faith before and hand them a card and say, will you come to church and come to this Alpha program? They're likely not going to come and not be sure what that means. But, but... If you have had that conversation, and even briefly, they know you go to church, that, that, that is a part of your story, and the invitation is to join in the story of your life already. The expectation of participation goes much higher. So my recommendation is, is that if you're, if you're interested in joining this communal expression of evangelism, I think you should invite people, um, and I think you should do so first by talking in the most comfortable ways with people about your own faith. But I need to move forward so that I can explain this last point, because it's the most important to me around this. Evangelism is personal. Evangelism is communal. But more importantly, evangelism is not your responsibility. It's your work. It's all of our work. Jesus uh, is the center of our faith, and we look to his commands and say, this is what it means to be a Christian, and his final command to his disciples is to do this, so it better be our work. But the responsibility of evangelism doesn't fall to us because we don't have salvific power. You can't save anyone. I can't save anyone. Not from the things that fully and deeply harm us. When Jesus ends this conversation with his disciples, he doesn't just invite them to say these things. He doesn't just say, go do it. He ends it with, look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. When you commit yourself to being a follower of Jesus, to seek to have other people find that same faith, when you want to spread the hope of Jesus, the salvation that God offers, you are not doing so alone. You have the church, and the church isn't doing so alone. You have the body of Christ beyond the church in Christ himself. You have a God that goes before you. I think the failure in this is that we think, 
We, we think the responsibility is so large because we think it weighs on us. We, don't, we think that, like, we don't have the answers, like I said, and, we, and we're afraid we're not good enough because we think that it relies on us. But the reality is, is that God is already at work in the world. We don't bring the gospel. We just don't bring the gospel. Like, that should probably be let go completely as a phrase. We don't bring the gospel with us. We just don't. God is already at work. The Holy Spirit is already doing things. What we do is represent the kingdom and give a connection to a real person for the work that God is already up to with people. Assume in every conversation you go into that God has already been working because God loves that person more than you ever could. So assume that God's already working, that God's already engaged with that person, that God already cares about that person, every single person you run into. I'm reminded that uh, whenever I think about the, this, this experience of what it means to, to give the the gospel of Christ out to people. I'm reminded that, uh, that this is not something we can carry or take with us, that we can offer to people. It's only something we represent to people. So when we step into these spaces with people who need Jesus, we're not bringing the gospel. We're bringing ourselves we're bringing ourselves as people who have already, already been walking with Jesus, expecting that God is there. I think, I think that the largest fear and separation around this issue the, the, the space that most Christians end up in when they think about evangelism and why they maybe haven't engaged in evangelism. is multiple levels of fear. And I don't want to go back to what I said at the beginning of the sermon because I've already done that. But I am convinced that every conversation I've had around this more recently shows that it's just fear. And it's, it's, it's different types of fear and I don't want, I don't have time to get into all of what it might be there. But it is fear. Fear. And we know that in the true love of Christ, that all fear can be removed, especially the fear that gets in the way of what God might be wanting to do in this world. But as I've been praying about this this week, I was reminded I've been hanging out with the kids. Uh, I've been hanging out with the kids in the children's ministry the last few weeks. And, and on our fridge at home, one of the things that uh, one of my sons brought home, brought home for their, the verses that they're learning right now it's pinned on our fridge, and I saw it again this morning. And it's Romans 8, 38, which says, I am absolutely sure that not even death or life can separate us from God's love, not even angels or demons, the present or the future or any powers can separate us. And I don't think that's just true for Christians. That God's love can't be separated by anything out there. And so it is waiting for you to just give it a name. As Paul points to an unnamed statue and says, that's the God you're seeking. I know who this God is that you're seeking. We are pointing to the same thing that people want in their very lives. They are desperate for real love. And we are just there to say nothing can separate you from that love. God is right here. And that nothing can separate you from that love that God is offering. I want to encourage you more than anything. 
if you forget the rest of this, at this point, after my prayers this morning, um, and reminded even in my conversation there with Daniel, I just want you to know that at the end of the day, your representation matters to nothing. Your representation doesn't matter at all unless it represents love. Your representation will fail unless it represents love. You aren't representing the kingdom unless it's love. There is no way to have any kind of evangelism with the people around you in a broken world that doesn't start with love because the only place it should end up with is that they find a relationship with a God who loves them and they find another human that's sitting across from them who will love them no matter what. If we do evangelism from any other place or with any other expectation, if we aren't just going in there knowing that the love of God can't be separated from us and that God wants that for every person on this earth, if we, do, if we don't go in with that mindset, then we're doing something other than Christian evangelism. So, This next week, this next month, this next year, every person you run into is someone that God desperately wants connected forever with God. The hardest thing is to remember that God is walking with us, asking us to be a part of that journey with them. That we have a role to play but I'm asking you to do so, to remember that as you engage those people in your life. Let's pray. God, who has given us more mercy uh, than we could ever expect, more love than we could ever truly experience, God, who's more good, more wonderful than we can fathom, we ask for more grace, we ask for more vision, we ask for more hope that it would pour out of us, that we would see the world as you do, that we would see the world uh, in a place of brokenness and with desperate loving eyes. We trust that you love our world more than us, so we ask that you would guide us to just see things the way you do. that we would, uh, first and foremost, experience your kingdom as a place of love. 